Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast. This is a podcast with the opinion that progressive politics can change the world. I'm your host, Hannah Shah, and I'm joined by my colleague, Stephanie Lloyd, to discuss the stories of the week. Now, it's exactly a week to go until the big day. Yep, we're heading to the polls. Theresa May is once again meeting the 1922 committee and it looks like she's edging closer to setting a departure date. David Gork is having to go and reverse all of Chris Gerling's mistakes at the Ministry of Justice. So the ground should be pretty fertile for a confident opposition party. Wait a minute. The latest YouGov polling puts the Brexit party at 34%, Labour at 16%, the Lib Dems at 15 Greens on 11 and the Tories bring up the rear on 10. It's going well then, isn't it, Steph? It's not going well for anybody really, other than basically the Lib Dems. Yeah, it's it's quite an extraordinary time. We've spoken about it quite a lot on the podcast um, of just how much of an extraordinary time it is in British politics right now. This is obviously uh, elections that Theresa May and the Conservatives hoped they would never have to uh, contest. They obviously hoped that we would have left the EU by now. Obviously, that hasn't happened. And what we're really seeing is those parties who are coming out with very clear propositions on either side, whether that's the Brexit party or particularly the kind of Lib Dems with their stop Brexit line, are doing much better in terms of polling. Labour's dropped dramatically since the start of the elections. And lots of that, when you look at kind of other polling that's come out in terms of how clear people feel the kind of Brexit policy is for each of those parties, Labour is literally at the bottom of the pile. And unsurprisingly, their kind of theory of constructive ambiguity and their way of really kind of sitting on the fence in these in this issue worked very well for them in 2017. You can see why they wanted to try and do it again. But uh, campaigners and organisations like ourselves have been telling them they need to get off the fence for some time now. And we're really starting to see that quite substantially when it comes to our electoral losses. And I actually think next Thursday is going to be much worse for Labour um, than we first thought. Um, but the other thing that's also kind of unsurprising, I think, really, is just how low Change UK's polling is as well. Mm. They're really not cutting through. They're really not resonating. Um, and considering they were formed quite fundamentally on one big policy issue, it is quite remarkable that they have 
are still not really cut through in any way, shape or form. And actually the Lib Dems are really, and partly the Greens, mm. are really mopping up that vote now. Yeah, it seems odd that if we remember back when TIG, Change UK, 4 underscore change, whatever they're called, left, there seemed to be a fair amount of momentum with them. You know, mm. they, they were the sort of hardline remainers from all the main parties. You had Anna Subri sort of leading from the front with her fun footwear and her character. Well, they were personality. They were polling at 18% in the first kind of couple of weeks that they came out, but they do seem to have disappeared somewhat. And part of that, and there's lots of really interesting discussion that's gone around about their kind of lack of understanding of what it's like to be a smaller party, Mm. their reticence to kind of campaign in a way that Nigel Farage does, which is very, you know, doesn't necessarily tell the truth on anything. Mm. Um, But it is working. And I think, you know, we're going to see these European elections kind of become some slightly odd pseudo second referendum but not really yeah um and you know you're likely to see the brexit party do very very well and i think that is a failure of the other parties um and really shows just how you know despite the fact i disagree with him on literally everything just how good a campaigner nigel farage is yeah absolutely well i'm sure we'll come back to that after next thursday in other news then We're seeing the return of sexual relationships education to the agenda. Schools up and down the country have been receiving letters condemning the No Outsiders program. And that's the sex and relationships education program that we've talked about in the podcast before um, that educates children and young people about um, minorities and LGBT people within the context of PSHE. Um, On Newsnight on Wednesday night, uh, we're treating the MP of for the North um, was there explaining what it meant to him. I know you watched it back, Steph. What did you think? Yeah, I did. Yeah, Newsnight was um, really focused on this very heavily and they had a very extended kind of opening segment on um, relationship and sex education. And as as I said, as we've spoken about this on the podcast before, this is rolling out next year. It comes into force in England and it's about ensuring that There's age-appropriate education at all levels and it's about making sure no matter, you know, whether that's, you know, Rachel can have two mummies or, Mm. you know, you know, James's dad is disabled or, Mm. you know, it's it's just about basically explaining to children in ways that they understand in, in, in times that are appropriate for them that you know, people have different lives and, you know, we've got a a really kind of rich, diverse makeup of families and people in this country now. And that's a really positive thing and that people just come from different experiences. There has been quite a substantial backlash to this that is really increasing in its ferocity. Lots of that focus specifically around, as you say, that kind of no outsiders program that was Mm. run in a Parkfield school in Birmingham. Um, But it's much wider than just that. And actually what we're seeing is really organised, coordinated groups of kind of conservative faith um, really pushing against this and coordinating letter writing campaigns to schools and trying to put as much pressure on local authorities as possible to stop introducing this. Now, the reason why it's so scary is even though the legislation will come into force, this kind of pressure actually stops schools from wanting to really implement it properly. So you kind of, you don't see the big public statements of we're not going to do this and we're going to pull away from it. What you see is people just very silently, very quietly, just putting the dampener on lots Mm. of these issues because they don't want 
protests outside their schools. They don't, they don't know how to deal with it. They don't want any of that to be part of their kind of distraction from what they're trying to do on a day-to-day basis. So it's really, really, it is really scary. Um, and, you know, Wes, who's one of the patrons of LGBT Labour, um, was on Newsnight absolutely beautifully and eloquently explaining why when you talk about tolerance and respect, it has to be both ways. And as someone of faith himself, where those tensions can come across, but how fundamentally important it is in schools to have that kind of leveller for for children because, you know, you can be from the most kind of, you know, conservative Muslim, Christian, Jewish background possible and, your you know, your parents can think, being gay is a sin and it's something that's unacceptable. That's not going to stop you from being gay if you're gay. That's who you are. And so the importance of this is about protecting children and about giving them a safe space to understand who they might be and coming to terms with that and accepting that part of their identity in what can be a very hostile world. And it's also about ensuring that other children have that understanding and that there is that just education and tolerance that goes around that. So despite the fact that the video showed some really quite upsetting mm. images and, and speeches. There was a really beautiful conversation then between Wes um, and an imam uh, who does lots of kind of, you know, inter- integration programs and and that kind of, you know, faith and, and LGBT crossover. And it was just a beautiful dialogue between the two of them. Mm. And it really showed that in a world that's becoming ever more polarised, actually there are really progressive solutions to to making the world just that little bit nicer for everybody. Absolutely. And in other news related to it, I know that as part of, so you didn't mention that you yourself are on the LGBT Labour Committee. I am. For our listeners, are you treasurer? Is that right? I am. I do all the money. Money lady. And some other things. (laughs) (laughs) That the Labour peer, Lord Mooney, am I right, has been suspended? Yes, he has. So uh, LGBT Labour actually was part of the people that put forward a complaint against Lord Mooney. And it's quite funny because this one's kind of really gone under the radar Mm. in some of the press. There was kind of exclusives on it in the Times and a few of the kind of LGBT papers picked up on it. But it really didn't go that widely and lots of other things that have been going on. But uh, for those of you that haven't seen it, uh, Lord Mooney was hosting an event with uh, an organisation called Standing for Women. Um, they really have kind of ramped up and and kind of played into that kind of transphobic narrative against trans women being women. And it's not, I mean, the event was problematic, but actually it wasn't the event. It was actually when you looked through his social media, the kind of content that he had been sharing mm was really violent towards trans people. It was homophobic. Mm. It was biphobic at times. And and this was just the last couple of weeks. This mm. isn't one or two posts from years ago. This is a constant stream of content mm. that he was sharing. And he's a Labour Lord. And, you know, there is a very polarising discussion going on across the country at the moment about trans rights. And particular groups have really been using this and stirring up this kind of misinformation and misconception of what's going to happen to really stoke that kind of anger and rage and hatred that people can have towards trans people. And the Labour Party has always been the party that fundamentally transformed the lives of LGBT people in this country. So, you know, for a Labour peer to be sharing those kinds of, that kind of material and holding those kinds of views, this isn't just some random in the street. This is a man who makes the laws of this country Mm. and therefore it does matter. So we were part of a kind of, you know, there were various people that submitted complaints. We 
put one in and the Labour Party suspended him almost immediately, to be fair. And uh, instead of fighting that suspension and defending why he thought that was acceptable to share, he decided he would just leave the Labour Party and then has gone some kind of slight tirade about how evil everybody is and why we shouldn't be mm. protecting the rights of trans people. So, yeah, it's been a, it's been a you know, a slightly odd week uh, in terms yeah. of that. But, you know, for once, good to see the Labour Party taking really swift action Yeah, I think something like this. It's really important, like coming back to what Wes said, and I'll um, link the tweet at the bottom in the show notes. Um, he talked a lot in his clip about different people having different views and respecting each other. And actually, if we're going to teach children to respect each other and respect their peers we should expect at least the same standard of behavior from the people who sit in the house of lords and the house of commons well exactly we? and you know the kind of content that he was sharing that wasn't oh well here's a slight policy disagreement mm. that i'm going to have with you it was inciting at times violence towards trans people and and that's the difference and that's where these discussions have become extremely toxic um, and really quite extreme at times and, and that's where you've got to draw the line and say, look, you know, if you want to be part of these discussions, please do. But you are going to do them in a way which is tolerant, which is respectful and which uh, really kind of brings people with you. Absolutely. And it seems for some reason that on this podcast in the past few weeks, we seem to be talking about Brexit and equalities as our two main themes. And hmm. um, maybe there's a little link between the two. I don't know, perhaps. Um, but in other equalities news, we heard yesterday, I think it was now. Or yesterday, two days ago, because we called this on a Thursday. Um, We're in the podcast bunker currently recording this one. The government has rejected the new definition of Islamophobia that uh, was put forward by the APPG on British Muslims. Now, not to make this a West Streeting standcast, but I believe he's also on the APPG. He's the chair. He's the chair of the APPG on British Muslims. So he's been busy this week, which conducted, uh, you know, an extensive consultation with community groups, faith groups, went all around the country, took all written evidence and came up with what was essentially a working definition of Islamophobia, much like the IHRA, one of anti-Semitism, which we've obviously discussed a lot on this podcast in relation to anti-Semitism within the Labour Party and how we protect our Jewish members. This definition has already been adopted by Labour, the Lib Dems and the Scottish Conservatives, and essentially shows and expresses the fact that Islamophobia is rooted in racism and is a type of racism that targets expressions of Muslimness or perceived Muslimness. Steph, what do you think about the government's rejection of this new definition? I think it's pretty shameful. And I think particularly when you see so many of the Conservatives who have uh, rightly highlighted the kind of problems with anti-Semitism within the Labour Party, then immediately going, oh, no, 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 this is different when it's us. It's different when it's us. And it's all of the people on kind of both sides, really. The thing that's kind of shocked me quite a lot is you've seen quite a lot of people who were, you know, really staunchly against the IRA definition of anti-Semitism by the Labour Party, then turning around and screaming blue murder about the Conservatives not adopting it. And then you see it kind of vice versa. Mm -hmm. And it's almost, it's like, we see both, we see all of you in terms of this. Like, you can't proclaim to be one and not mm -hmm. the other. So... Yeah, I thought it was pretty shameful, but I mean, how did how did it make you feel? I mean, so I've already had this argument um, with several people, and it's hilarious because it actually mirrors the argument that we saw about Ira quite a lot. And um, people have the problem with the idea that it's about perceived Muslimness, and some of the examples, you know, it is a working definition with examples, just like the Ira one is too. And it was 
odd because I had people turn around and say, does it mean that I can't say that aspects of Islam might not be compatible with Western culture? And I was like, no, you can say that. Just like I could say that I think the Israeli government is wrong. I, I can say that. That's within the IRA definition of anti-Semitism. That's fine. And the fact that people are playing up to these extremes and being like, I can't say that. That's a hate crime. That that means if I think it's not very Western for a woman to wear a burqa, that means I'm Islamophobic. It's just not true. And actually people are using it as cover for their own, you know, racist views, which is what I think is the most damaging and scary part about this. No, I agree with you. And I think, you know, the thing that's quite shocking is you've seen just how enabled the Tory party have been able to deal with Islamophobia. And, you know, we've seen kind of people like councillors be suspended from the party for saying some of the most horrendously Islamophobic things. And very quietly, very soon after, kind of reinstated. Mm. And they have a, you know, if there's if there's one thing they can learn from the Labour Party, it is just how unbelievably toxic and damaging and horrendous it is when a party becomes utterly embroiled in something like this and they need to stop and and really look and think about what it is that they are doing and Theresa May needs to for once in her life show an (laughs) ounce of leadership and stop and stop proclaiming free speech there's a difference between free speech and hate speech and this is the point is it's giving that clear definition of what those two things are absolutely I think we'll end that cheery discussion there um, yeah, it's been a fun one today, hasn't it? It has, it has. Uh, but now is some actual fun. Looking ahead, we've got something special coming up over the weekend. Big vote for Europe. Steph, who's your money on for Eurovision? Oh, it's like a gay holiday. We have a wonderful time. Well, so I've I've actually been quite distracted this year and haven't massively been involved in the kind of run-up to Eurovision. But from what I can see... It's either going to be Australia or the Netherlands that look likely to tip it. Interesting choice of European country, Australia. Well, you know, it's it's a broad church of a family where, you know, Azerbaijan, also in Europe. We love a broad church. Um, I mean, it's currently being hosted in Israel this year, so also, also not in Europe. But, you know, it's quite funny. The Australian entry is very much like, it is like the most Eurovision version of Frozen possible. So it's kind of a bit of an homage to Frozen from the looks of it. But to be honest, from all of the ones that I've listened to, none of them are as good as last year's winner, uh, which was Netta. You love Netta. I still play it every week. What about you? Good to know. Mine is uh, this guy called Serhat from San Marino. His song is Say Na Na Na. Uh, which I think is very articulate. Um, And I picked this one because he first tried to represent San Marino in 2016. But like every good person, every good underdog story, he's bounced back and has now got through to the final in 2019. It's an old-fashioned dance bop. And for a country, a small plucky country of 24 square miles, he's taking on the global stage. So all my money is going to go to him, global San Marino. Haven't you already voted for him about 20 times. Absolutely. How do you think he got through the semi-final? Come on. <laughs> to be fair, say no, no, no. feels like the most apt kind of way of speaking about British politics right now and what we do the podcast. No, I think no, we've no. got the podcast title right there. Um, but yeah, there you go. Say no, 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 everyone. Thank you for listening to the Progressive British Podcast. Don't forget to tell your friends, watch your revision, send in your choices and subscribe, rate and review. Thanks, Steph. We'll see you on Tuesday. You 
You've been listening to the Progressive Britain podcast. The music was One in the West by Blue Dot Sessions, licensed under Creative Commons, and many thanks for our fantastic and long-suffering producer, Caroline Crampton. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.